Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Mara. And on this week's episode, we are continuing to review Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. And in this episode, we'll hand out some awards. I guess we'll call them Beasties. Is that cool? Is that yeah. acceptable? Yeah. Is that copyright anywhere? Are we cleared? <laughs> I think uh, we can. You know, we didn't, we didn't uh, consult with the Beast podcast, but I, I think it'll be okay. We just made it up right now, we swear. <laughs> and we're going to discuss loads of odds and ends that we didn't have time for in last week's episode. And if you haven't listened to that episode, definitely do so because we focused on the biggest moments in the film. And this time we're going to get into more of the nitty gritty. So spoiler warning. If you haven't seen the movie by now, you will get spoiled. If you are new to MuggleCast, welcome to the show. Make sure you're following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. And if you want to help us make all this great content every week, visit patreon.com slash MuggleCast to support us. And thank you for your support. We'll send you physical gifts like this t-shirt that I'm wearing. This went out a couple of years ago. You'll also receive all kinds of cool digital benefits throughout the year. So let's get into our beasties. <laughs> we could call them newts. The nudies. The nudies. You know what? <laughs> anyway, that sounds that, bad. Never mind. I have it. I have it. <laughs> Not like so does beasties. I've combed the screen uh, plays of both movies and the third one, which isn't even out yet. But I've done the work and I've come up with the perfect word from the movies to call our awards. The bunties. Oh. <laughs> okay. The bunty award. Because she is a big fan of at least one person in particular. Yeah. So I like it from that angle too. Let's do the Bunty Awards. Okay, the, the Bunties. The Bunty Awards. <laughs> Bunties? Bunties. Bunty Broadacre, who expected that she would get a last name. Well, speaking of a standout character, let's start with our favorite new character of this movie. I'll say uh, Laley Hicks, played by Jessica Williams. We were very excited about her for a while. Brand new character, Ilvermorny Professor. There are some questions. We can get into this now or maybe later. How exactly she got involved with Dumbledore, with the Scamander Six. And I will say the one issue I had with Laley is the accent. <laughs> it wasn't consistent, it didn't seem, in the movie. And I think I understood what Jessica Williams was going for. Ilvermorny is in the uh, New England part of America. So mm -hmm. she was going for like a 1920s New England accent. I understand that, but just it didn't seem consistent to me. And that happens with actors sometimes. They try to do an accent and they kind of fall off. Was it just mm -hmm. me or was the accent a little strange? No, I agree. I think the accent came on a lot stronger during her introductory scenes in the film. And then it became a lot more subtle after that. Okay. I don't know if that was an intentional choice or not. Um, because sometimes, I mean, as readers, we know this, if you look at Hagrid as an example, his accent is written a lot more strongly earlier on in the series, and it becomes more subtle as time goes on because it can be aggravating to read that kind of strong emphasis over and over. Right. So I don't know if that's what she was going for here, if that's what she was directed to do, but I did notice it. Um, but okay. she was also my favorite. Loved it her. made yeah. me interested in knowing what the accent was. Like, what did people talk like that? Did she base it on a specific, historically accurate person of the time? And if so, what? Because I'm interested. 
Like it, it was just a very interesting way of talking, and you're 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 giving information <laughs> yeah. like this. Yeah, and, you know, it it almost had a hint of being British uh, at times. But what yeah, I took pompous. away is, well, I'm wondering, is it that like the professorial, intellectual side of her? Mm. That's how she speaks. I still really loved her character. I Me thought too. definitely a standout in this film. I also really liked. Mads Mikkelsen as Grindelwald. I wish he was in this role from the beginning, to be honest with you, because he was just the way he delivered lines, the the evil that he conveyed without being like so in your face, which that's how Johnny Depp is. I really enjoyed him. Yeah. The Mads Grindelwald has a very quiet capacity where you know what he's thinking, but he's not saying it out loud. Like we were talking about last episode, but like the disappointment in his face when the chillin' thing is revealed, he doesn't immediately get angry or react. He's kind of letting it's it's almost as if he thought maybe the real chillin' would still bow to him because he's not immediately trying to shut down Credence and everybody else. When Credence first stands out against him, he's like, okay, we'll see how this plays out. And I'm just like that level of patience and almost like calm certainty that your evil is going to win in the end is entirely a new take on the character and makes him a different character, a different villain than, say, Voldemort. Um, And I think that that kind of character stuff is really important for the series to do at this juncture um, to really separate the characters. And so getting somebody like Mads to do this kind of a, a character is very, very enticing. He doesn't get rattled very easily. Yeah. Whereas if you think about when we've seen Voldemort throughout the course of the Harry Potter films, he was very excitable, right? Mm. In the graveyard, you know, in in that final battle at Hogwarts. There's other moments I'm sure we could point to. Mad C or Grindelwald seems very like composed, tactical. He knows what he wants to do. If something gets thrown his way that throws him off, he's able to pivot and I know I mentioned this in the last episode, but to me, that's what makes him even scarier than somebody like Voldemort. Mm. And the fact that you can meet him face to face and it doesn't automatically equal death. I mean, these villains right? have very different motives. And of course, Voldemort isn't human. <laughs> Grindelwald is a human. Right. So yeah, I think one of the eeriest things for me when it comes to Grindelwald is just that you can sit at a diner with him. You can meet him at the ends like uh, everybody was in Bhutan, he's approachable, which sounds like a weird way to describe it. But when you compare him to Voldemort, he is very much approachable. Yeah. And and just think about the dinner party too, right? Like when Jacob pulls out his wand, he doesn't even react. Yeah. He just kind of sits there and gives you that villain-esque smile, that smirk. Yeah. Somebody else cries, assassin. Um, (laughs) As far as new characters, I, well, characters that we liked the most- the Bunty Award has to go to Bunty uh, for me. I like that we did get substantially more time with her. Um, it, it did raise kind of more questions than answers in terms of uh, like, is she, she's been with Newt for how long and she's really into Newt for how long and is she accepting of his relationship with Tina or not? I'm still a little confused, but overall the Bunty character was enjoyable in this film. And I really liked Yusuf Kama. I'm going to go ahead and say it. I, I think, I think you know, he looked very nice. He definitely had an arc and a purpose. He has a moment where he's able to kind of get them out of trouble too later on. Um, but again, 
some of the inner more motivations were just not clear while watching it. And like, for yeah. instance, is his memory of his sister, which Grindelwald just completely removes his entire memory of Lita, we are meant to believe, is that gone for good? Is it gone permanently? Because if so, that's a changed man. Um, you know, and and what steps would Yusuf have taken to prevent against that? And then when he does come to the good side at the end, why did he do it? So there's still so many questions, but I would say overall, from the maybe caricature that he that that character or that these two characters, Bunty and Yusuf, might have been in the second film, in this film, they at least felt like they were actors being able to do a performance. They were given space to do a performance. I agree. I really liked both of them in this movie. And it made me just sad that they didn't get more development in the last film because clearly they needed it. Um, You know, for Bunty, we can at least understand why she's there because she's Newt's assistant, right? But even though I really liked Yusuf in this movie, I'm still struggling to understand why he needed to be there apart from we have to close this loop. (laughs) Like we open this loop and we have to close it. On the train, Theseus, you know, is running through everybody who's a part of the team and kind of explaining why each of them are there. And he's like, oh, and we also have Yusuf of a long family bloodline. Like his whole reason for being there is because he's related to the Lestranges. I'm just like, what? How? Why and the is Lestrange, this significant? Remember, Lestrange is his mother's rapist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he is not a Lestrange, except pos- like his stepdad, right? Was but but he's his his family is I think Senegalese, and it's it's Kama. He's of the Kama bloodline. But why else does his bloodline matter? Well, right, that's the thing because Theseus definitely says a wizard from a long French bloodline. Yeah. But like and yeah, does that mean he, he's good at fighting evil wizards? I don't I don't well, you get know, it. pure blood really matters in this series actually. Yeah. It just it sucks because the actor's great and his yeah. performance was on point. I really enjoyed the moments when he was on screen. I felt very drawn to his character when he was on screen. I just didn't understand why right. he was there. You can see the and struggle. He, yeah. yeah, I mean, he does end up being a part of Dumbledore's plan, Dumbledore's ideas to confuse Grindelwald. And maybe we could talk about this a different time because, you know, I said this a few weeks ago. We saw this clip, Newt saying Dumbledore's idea is to confuse Grindelwald. And I was like, OK, that sounds like a great premise for the movie. And then this is when when I started watching the movie for the first time, I started having to lower my expectations because it wasn't abundantly clear how they were going to confuse Grindelwald. One of the clear ways, and I actually forgot about this at first, Micah had to remind me, was by uh, Yusuf initially siding, siding, air quotes, with Grindelwald and then changing his position. So I guess that was one way that they were intentionally trying to confuse Grindelwald. And then maybe there was one other way, but I thought there was going to be like four to five different futures that they were all kind of mapping out, including yeah. Jacob becoming a wizard. And yeah, that just all didn't yeah. pan out. But and that what was a disappointment. Did, what did Dumbledore give Yusuf? See, he, that's in unclear. That scene, it, yeah, in that scene, he says, I have what I need. Yeah. So what is it? Whatever, whatever was communicated to him was communicated before they even got there. That That's part of what I think was missing from the storytelling for Yusuf is I think Dumbledore gave him clear direction to go inside with Grindelwald because of what happened to Lita. 
right? There's this kind of emptiness within him. But what confuses me is certainly he would blame Grindelwald for what happened to his half-sister. He's the reason why she's dead. So why would he all of a sudden make that change and go inside with the person who's responsible for it? Uh, But I also wonder too, and this was never explained, Queenie, right? Queenie is like the 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 bouncer for Yusuf ultimately being able to side with Grindelwald, at least in terms of Grindelwald being able to trust Yusuf mm-hmm. after the memory is removed. I'm wondering now, because this happens after the chillin is killed, right? And she witnesses that. Yeah. Is she already starting to move away from her allegiance towards him? And does she lie about Kama's true allegiance? Yes, right. I think that was the it's, again. I none got. of that's explained. It's not. No, you just have a, a a pregnant look, you know, in the eye, and you're supposed to understand. But yeah, I think at that point, Queenie is inviting as much chaos as possible into Grindelwald's court because she wants to make sure that she has a way to get out eventually. Um, but then, if if his motives aren't pure, if she can see that Yusuf is indeed wanting to still topple Grindelwald what specifically is making him want to do that and we don't know and and like I said in the first Theseus actually asked him when they're about to cross the bridge and he just saved all of them he says oh you know what took you so long or what made you change your mind or something and it just cuts away and I'm like I would have liked to have known this and would it upset you guys to know that the pre-screening that our friend our correspondent saw that was writing to us said that there was a line where Yusuf explained his allegiance Mm. and explained his reasoning, and it was cut. So these cuts actually make the movie more confusing, not less confusing. In that scene, he supposedly said that without Lita, he doesn't have a family until he found this group, and this group is now his family. That would have... That would have explained everything to me, at least gone a little bit of a way to explaining why he is on the side of good versus Mm -hmm. the side of bad. But apparently that was filmed and even made it into some pre-screenings. Yeah, that's a mess. Yeah, so that was that test screening that was like a good six months ago or something. Why take it out of the movie? It's not pacing. It's a throw. It's an explanation. It's not. I think it's. Yeah. If we talk about things being cut, I think we also have to remember this movie was what? Two hours, 20 minutes, which is pushing it in terms of the length and seeing it the second time there wasn't really a scene i didn't go to the bathroom before seeing it my second time i thought oh i've already seen the movie i can just leave whenever it's fine i found myself not wanting to leave the movie the entire second time i saw the movie uh, even though i knew what was coming and even though i had to use the bathroom Because Apologies to your bladder. Is this where you're going to tell a story about a popcorn uh, bin or a cup? No, no. I I bring this up though because I felt like there wasn't a moment where I could walk away. I wanted to see everything again, so that's a positive. I didn't feel like leaving the theater. Actually, Pat had to use the bathroom at one point. It was right before the credence, the big credence reveal, and he was like, "Can I go to the bathroom right now?" I looked over. I said, "No, you better not go right now. <laughs> Wait a few more minutes." And then he peed his pants. It was really embarrassing. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Uh, way to put him on blast here, Andrew. Jeez. Do we want to talk about Aberforth for a second as a new character, too? Because I yeah, thought sure. that uh, that was another great casting job. And he really delivered for 
you know, the small parts of the film that he was there. I think the reveal about being Credence's father uh, was shocking to say the least. We talked about that in the last episode, but I think that, you know, he he kind of has that, uh, you know, sassy Dumbledore uh, quality to him. Uh, we see it, you know, even when uh, McGonagall shows up at the uh, Hogshead and, you know, he's basically telling her to go bleep off, uh, but then comes back and apologizes to her um, a few minutes later. Yeah, I liked him. Everything about how he's holding credence and he's like interacting with his son. Once he has a purpose, he's given a purpose about midway through the film. He's enjoyable before then, but once he's given a purpose, you can see he really takes to it. And that was very emotionally satisfying for me. But I want to know how the mirror thing got started, Um, why it works, how it works, who was the first person to contact the other person. And also if Dumbledore's line about we didn't know is true then that throws another kink in. How the hell is this occurring? That Credence is communicating with his dad and his dad with him. Do they know who they're talking to? They're saying very important stuff. Like, do you know what it's like to be alone? And forgive me. But do they know? are they having a meaningful conversation? How did it get started? I'm just so mad that it's yeah. supposed to be exciting, but for it doesn't pass my sniff test. Yeah. Agree. It's mirror pen pals, but you don't know who's on the other end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, how do they know unless they've told each other? There must be some sort of direct line that they've set up, I guess. But to Eric's point, then, how can Albus say, we didn't know? <laughs> Doesn't make sense. Yeah. Unless we're supposed to believe that because this is at um, Nurmengard. Maybe it was an established communication between Albus and Gellert that somehow Aberforth figures out and is able to get in touch with Credence that way. But it's just like, again, the fact that we have to speculate about this just shows that there could have been an easy answer in here and they just didn't give it. It's like, hey, Ab, I need to use your mirror. I'll be right back. (laughs) He (laughs) goes behind the bar and he writes a love letter to to Gellert. Let's move on to best character in the movie, new or old. I'm going to have to give my bunty to Jacob. Just time and time again, Jacob in this series is hitting it out of the park. I feel like Jacob was just at another level in this movie, especially with going through uh, port keys or going through walls. Like, you know, he would go through a moment of pain whenever he was being transported. And it turned into a running joke, particularly in this movie. And it was just really funny watching him suffer. <laughs> I agree. And then, 100%. you know, of course, his his love for Queenie was really palpable. And yeah, God, just so much to love about Jacob. Yeah, Dan Fogler's performances in this role have just been out of the park. Um, Love him for the characterization he gives Jacob. But also, to the point we've raised before on the show, he's really representing us as filmgoers, right? Right. He's our um, sort of bridge into the wizarding world. And we get to experience the discomfort and the wonder and the magic firsthand through him and he does an amazing job um conveying that in his performance so jacob is also my favorite for this movie um yeah he's for all those reasons jacob is truly amazing i would give my bunty award however to dumbledore jude law's performance of dumbledore because for the very 
I think first time you really believe that Dumbledore is a person that has hurt, that has felt love, that has felt the weight of his own past mistakes, not because of what he's saying, not because the story he tells about accidentally having a sister die, but because of those quiet moments where Newt offers some, you know, suggestion and he like nods understandingly. And like, he just knocked it out of the park. I I feel like Jude really understands the character and is connected with the character in a way that we just have not seen before in any of the Harry Potter films. It just felt real in a really amazing way. And again, I I just have to add, it has to be celebrated that a gay romance is being prominently depicted in this movie. No, there wasn't a kiss or that that Eric uh, proposed might occur a couple weeks ago that we censored out. But (laughs) Dumbledore is explicitly saying, I was in love with Grindelwald. I loved him. I love you. You don't see that in many movies, especially big blockbusters. So even though I tweeted this the other day, the JK Rowling of it all puts a damper on things. It was a big deal. I wish we could celebrate that more. Unfortunately, we can't, but it it is, we we have to keep that in mind. Yeah. I, I mean, I am curious to know, and I'm glad you brought it up, Andrew. I have to think that as a longtime fan of this franchise, seeing that representation, on screen has to be really impactful. One of the big criticisms of the Dumbledore reveal is that we found out he was gay after the books were published and there was never anything in the source material to substantiate that. So I have to imagine that for gay fans, this was a big deal. Yeah, I, I think it is. I think part of the reason it's not being as celebrated as much as it could, besides J.K. Rowling, is because we have known about it for so long. It still is worth celebrating that it's finally in canon. But yeah, just because we have known about it for so long, it doesn't feel as big of a moment. Yeah. I'm talking in circles, but again, it is a big deal, yeah. even though it's not. Well, and I, I thought that. Jude Law and Mads Mikkelsen did a really great job of building that chemistry and the Mm -hmm. tension between the two of them. It was believable. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not not really familiar with both of those actors and like their personal lives. But there is sometimes when straight actors are cast in gay roles, it's very clear that it's like, oh, they were just cast. And like, it's very clear that there's not tension or chemistry. I felt the chemistry and the tension between these characters, regardless of, you know, what their sexual identities are outside of acting. I thought they did an amazing job. Yeah, it's basically like they're starting over with each movie. Um, You know, these actors having to create a lived in, believable, built, you know, pre-built world. And they nail it in this one with the backstory between these characters, because this is the first time we see those characters really interact. And Mm -hmm. it's no more evident than at the very end of the film where they can finally move against each other, but they choose not to. Yeah. Yeah. And so what does that have to say about their relationship? And just- They love each other. Going back to the Bunty, uh, I would give it to uh, Grindelwald. I, I- have talked about this already, <laughs> but I just thought Mads Mikkelsen was really unbelievable in this role and delivered Agreed. on every front. Uh, no matter the character, by the way, that 
he was interacting with, and he interacts with a fair amount of the cast throughout this film. He just was able to deliver and, you know, really, really measured up. Um, you know, it was a tall task too, you know, replacing Johnny Depp is no easy feat. Um, and no. you know, certainly there was a lot of controversy uh, surrounding the role itself. So his ability to just step into it and really not miss a beat and present a character that was, you know, different from what we've seen before, but enjoyable. I, I really, you know, I was impressed. Little aside, Mads did an interview about playing Grindelwald and he described it as chaotic, I think, because they kind of threw him in there in the last moment. He also said he didn't get a chance to talk to Johnny and he would have liked to have done that, but he couldn't. I don't think he shared why. I mean, clearly that must have been somebody's decision. Maybe somebody at WB was like, yeah, yeah. you can't talk to him. <laughs> I mean, Johnny must have been pissed too, right? Yeah. So he doesn't really want to help. Well, Johnny still got paid a full actor's salary for this movie. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, he did. WB so. being like, he can't sit with us. <laughs> <laughs> but Madge deserves some extra credit, I think, for kind of being thrown in there at the last minute. I oh, think yeah. we even knew Johnny, didn't he film his scenes for this movie? I think he'd I think filmed he a scene. At least some of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. One scene. That's right. Well, but yeah, certain certain threads are just extremely consistent. Like his this the way he treats Credence, for example, where you know he's just only as far as he can utilize him, and then he has just disdain, just complete disdain for him. So like the way that Mads did that, um, you know, twice you failed me. It just felt immediately like lifted off of the a continuation of the previous films. Okay, so continuing with our bunties, let's get to the. I love this name now, Eric. Good choice. Yeah. Um, Favorite new beast. <laughs> you uh, three go first. Yeah, yeah. the chillin', um, for sure. And and I have a few major problems with the movie. One of the major problems I have with this movie is the killing of the chillin' at the beginning of the, the film, the, the mother chillin', because it is just so sad. It's, it's hard to more, watch. It's yeah. more sad than it needs to be. The thing, the creature dies with like its, its tear, you know, comes out at the end and like, Newt. I was just like, what horrible movie have I decided to go and see in the theaters today? <laughs> that was how well, I felt of... while watching it. Like, I've made a mistake. This film is just going to showcase the absolute cruelty that exists in the world. But that's an accomplishment to feel so, so yeah. boldly about a fake beast. It's the Jurassic Park syndrome. Like, you care about the Triceratops that's sick. It's that um, in this movie. And so, for that reason, the fact that the chillin is adorable, the fact that the plot does rely on getting to know the beast, which I find very satisfying from a beast standpoint, the chillin is is my MVP. Same. Well, the viciousness of that scene reminds me of the viciousness of Grindelwald killing the baby in the last movie. Yeah. It just felt so out of the blue and almost unnecessary. But that's Grindelwald, I guess. That's what they're right. trying to convey with him. Yeah. He goes yeah. there. Well, I, I thought the point of them killing the mother is that chillins are extremely rare and they're wanting to prevent any further chillins from being able to detect purity of heart right so they're trying to stop that line i suppose take what they presume to be the one chillin existing at this time kill it reanimate it so that it does what they want so that was kind of my takeaway but i agree that that scene was hard to watch it was so heart-wrenching it was the most emotional that i felt in the film 
Um, mm. But I understood why they did it. And you know what? For all the problems I have with the election storyline, that chillin' is so damn cute. I Like, I melted <laughs> every time it was on the screen. The scene with Jacob playing with the chillin', like, they're playing oh, in the yeah. hog's head. I was like, oh, my God. It was yeah, so cute. Was so I can't cute. even talk about it. I'm just, I was so heartwarmed. I will say the whole bowing thing, a little too close to hippogriffs for me. I wish they came up with yeah. something else. Yeah. It was like the same kind of bow too. It looked like a little hippogriff. Like if it just like peed itself, that would have been better. What? <laughs> yeah. It submits. It's like, I'm going to pee vomits. in submission. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, oh, ew. It's like, it chose you. You're special. <laughs> as you've been talking about this. Oh, go ahead, Laura. No, you go. You go. I'm laughing. As, I, as we've been talking about, not what I just mentioned, but, you know, the chilling in general, like, I'm trying to draw, like, the comparisons between the fact that, that there was another sibling, right? Because so much about this series has been about siblings, Newton, Theseus, Aberforth, and Albus. You can find a way to probably weave credence into that mix as well. You have Tina and Queenie, right? So the fact that there was this other sibling that Grindelwald completely ignored, or he just wasn't informed about, um, you know, and, and again, too, like Yusuf and Lita. Um, so like, I'm trying to like do the mental math and, and draw some comparisons here Maybe it's for a future episode, but I th- I don't think that's unintentional. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, there's that scene where Newt has to explain to the good surviving Chillin that the zombie Chillin is not, in fact, its sibling, um, and it can't communicate with it the way it it, w- it wants to. It just trots over and wants to chat with its sibling, like, "Hey, I'm, I'm good to see you," and it just your heart just breaks. Yeah, and actually Isabel is pointing out in our Discord, the twin chillins reminded me of the twin cores of the wands for some reason, too. So there's, I think, I I agree, Micah, this was not unintentional. And I think if we had this story as a book, there would be so much more deep analysis that we would be able to do. Well, the screenplay arrives this July. (laughs) why it doesn't it doesn't make any sense i'll uh i'll just throw in my uh favorite beast the bunty uh award goes to the wyvern i thought that whole scene was so cool and how the beasts were actually communicating with each other to save newt mm-hmm. yeah um i also was what? really i missed that oh yeah like when newt was down and out like it was a whole communication chain that was going on to rescue him and get him out of the uh, forest there. Yeah, yeah remember oh, the suitcase pops open and I think Teddy or another- And Pickett. Yeah, they, they pop out and they're like communicating with each other and then the wyvern comes out, right? They, yeah, they and, like, pack up the case oh, and yeah. the wyvern is sure to grab it I guess it I didn't really understand what- Huh, okay. I did like when one creature was like making the suitcase walk. Was that that scene? That was a that was a that was before when Newt is running. Yeah, he uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. S- summons okay. the arm case thing. That's hilarious. The wyvern was probably one of the more original beasts, the most original beasts in this movie. Like the chillin, like yeah, it's cute, but it looks like a baby deer. The manticores were just crabs. The wyvern, on the other hand, was like an all original beast. Mm-hmm. And if I had to make one ding against the actual beasts in this movie, it's that they weren't 
as original as some of the other ideas that we've seen before. They're just kind True. of updated versions of real muggle world beasts. But my favorite creature, because of how unoriginal these were, at least appearance-wise, um, my favorite beasts were the little blue things waddling around in the Bhutan action scenes. I don't know what they were. That's the deer call. Oh, was it? That's the deer call. Yeah. Okay. I don't follow the beasts they, at all. I'm not here they, for the beasts and Fantastic Beasts. I'm just here for Dumbledore and Grindelwald fighting. It's the Dodo Bird. Well, you will you will enjoy the number one deer call fan club Facebook group. Uh of which okay, I'm the I need to of. join that. That's why yeah. I didn't realize that those were those. Yeah. What More are they called? The deer soon. call? Deer deer call. Deer they're, call. They're basically the dodo. Okay. The, the the joke is that they are the dodo bird. So the dodo bird is not extinct. It's just that they were always these deer calls that could disappear and transport. Okay. All right. Our final bunty category, favorite scene. So I think I need to watch the movie one or two more times to decide what my favorite scene is. There was a lot that I really enjoyed. But for now, I'm going to say the Queenie Jacob marriage. It was just really heartwarming, feel good. Like I said in the last episode, it was good seeing everybody together. Like I also said in the last episode, it really broke my heart seeing Dumbledore watch from the outside. It just said a lot about where Dumbledore was at in that moment. So the end, but not because the movie was ending. I liked the end because it was a really sweet ending. Yeah, despite the fact that there's probably tons of trauma they need to talk about and sort out, um, you do like the characters, I think, fundamentally. So you like seeing them get together and get married. And I loved the, it was clearly a metaphor at the beginning of the movie where the cake topper has fallen over. Yeah. And the groom is just like laying there and he's like down and out. And then at the end, it's it's back. And it's just like, I, I see what's happening here. Crazy. That cake had to be moldy by then, though. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> unless it's plastic. Um, but the favorite scene for me, the Irks dog. Uh, everything to do with the crabs. I mentioned before, that's like my favorite sequence in the movie. It's my favorite scene. It's fun. The musical score, I'm going to be dancing to that for ages. It's streaming on Spotify, by the way. Yeah, I have to agree with Eric here. Like I said in the last episode, this was my favorite sequence in the movie. It was the one time in the movie where I was able to fully unplug and just enjoy it because it it was so reminiscent of the environment that we're used to getting in Wizarding World movies. Yeah, and for me, I know I mentioned this in the last episode, but my favorite scene was the opening scene between Grindelwald and Dumbledore, uh, really reintroducing uh, Grindelwald as a character, being played by Mads Mikkelsen, just the rawness of that conversation and the establishment of Grindelwald as the villain, uh, I thought was just really, really well done. I agree. I can totally see that being a favorite scene. It was one of the best scenes that we've gotten in this whole franchise so far. Agreed with that. So let's move on to some odds and ends, just a variety of things we felt and thought while seeing the movie that we haven't been able to get to yet. What did we think of Grindelwald's little visions in the puddles and the mirrors? I thought they were actually kind of hard to make out. Agree. Yeah. If you're not looking very carefully, you miss them. Yeah. But the series has to show it somehow. Like it, it it's weird because it at first when he kills the chillin, like you see the first vision in the puddle of blood. First of all, it's like a mustache man and i don't know what that has to do with anything like that that very first vision but also Isn't if he's not Yusuf? actively Yusuf yeah, has a mustache. Was, yeah 
I think it was okay. Yusuf. It looked more like the jailer to me. Um, but but anyway, in general, the idea that he's killed the chill and now he sees visions now in just random places was kind of cool. I, I guess it was the best way they could kind of communicate that, that he's going to continue to see the future sporadically as a result of his actions. But they didn't explain what happened to the hookah. That's what I was thinking, too. I was like, what? So wait, again, I'm wondering what the explanation behind this is. Like we know, like the Potter books, for example, give an explanation to why killing a unicorn is a bad thing, right? And we're supposed to believe that about the chillin', but yet it gives Grindelwald this power that he had with the hookah in the last movie. And there's just no connection explained. So visually... Why does he need to do this? Yeah, visually it was fine. But again, it just brings me back to the question of how does this work in this universe? And really wishing that they would explain it. So we talked about the marketing materials for this movie, Hogwarts and the Phoenix and all of this. How do we feel now having seen the film uh, about how much Hogwarts was used? Like I said in last week's episode, that teaser poster was extremely misleading. The Phoenix, okay, you can justify putting that on a poster. But Hogwarts, it takes like an hour to get to Hogwarts. And they're not there for long. It was a total marketing move to draw people into the theater. And I shudder to think what's going to happen with the marketing for the next movie because now what we're seeing from the box office so far and keep in mind we're recording this on release weekend of the movie so we don't have the final box office results yet but it does seem to be trending less than crimes of grindelwald and that's with the hogwarts marketing so they have to do it again for the next one you need dan radcliffe on the poster also i'll point out all of the hogwarts scenes that were in the movie we saw before the movie was released that's true. Yeah, we didn't go anywhere there, else. We didn't see anything new in the movie. <laughs> um, and, and that's another gripe I have about the marketing. It feels like every scene pretty much that carried any kind of significant story beat we saw before the movie came out through trailers, through the scene releases, through the, you know, exclusive interview packages that they put out that were interspersed with different scenes. We saw like you could piece together the plot of this movie through the marketing that was released but ahead of time. <laughs> they needed to do that because they needed to convince us, which that was our feedback right after seeing that trailer was, this looks like a more cohesive story than the second movie because the second movie was such a train wreck that yeah. they needed to go all out to be like, we have a plot. We're, ser- we're seriously, we're, we, we promise it, it will make sense. But yeah, you're right. Somebody brought this up earlier and I totally agree is that I don't even think we needed to go to Hogwarts at all in this movie. Um, all this with the exception, well, no, you don't need the room of requirement for a port key. You don't need the great hall for Dumbledore's like artistic uh, drawing of Bhutan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was fan service. That's what it comes down to. That's why we're there. I will say, and I'm pretty sure of this, Jacob was sitting at a table with Ravenclaws, which was kind of cool to see. Um, not Gryffindors, <laughs> even though the Slytherins get them with the uh, cockroach clusters. But again, that's all like fan service for us um, and for other people who love the series. But we didn't spend a whole lot of time there. And that's actually what I enjoyed about this film. Like the whole point of Fantastic Beasts as a series is that we we're supposed to go to other places, see other wizarding cultures. And we did get some of that in this film, much more so than in the last film. 
and and the first one probably stands on its own just because we spent the entire time in New York and that was so cool to be in America for the first time and I get I'm biased in that respect but like we we as fans have been waiting for that for how many years uh you know to be able to come to America and and, and see the wizarding world so uh all in all though like I was fine with it they threw McGonagall in really for no reason um if we're talking about <laughs> cameos that and- actress had a com a contract they needed to <laughs> to do that but okay so i mentioned the, in the last episode that i took two things into the theater when i saw the movie the second time the first was my note notepad that i took all these <laughs> notes on the second thing was a stopwatch uh-oh and i wanted to know going in i was like man there sure was a lot of hogwarts hogsmeade in that movie i wanted to time how long any scene either at Hogwarts or Hogsmeade, what the overall time is versus the runtime of the movie. And I have okay, the answer. Okay, so should we guess the total? Uh, Hogwarts oh, sure. or Hogsmeade, you Ho- said? Ho- Hogwarts or Hogsmeade. Okay. H- how much time of the movie is spent there? Five and a half minutes. I'll say seven minutes. I'll say nine and a half. It's 22 minutes and 41 seconds. Really? It didn't feel like that Dang. at all. <laughs> yeah, it's if you Time really think about it, there's a lot of long, home. slow scenes in the hog's head and the great hall scene is pretty long and the room of requirement or sorry, the room which we require uh, <laughs> scene is long. So there is a f- fully 23 minutes of this film are set in Hogwarts Hogsmeade area. That's a sixth of the overall runtime. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So okay. not too shabby. Complete 180. Are Theseus and Laylee going to get together? I hope so. Why do you think that? Because they show up together at Jacob and Queenie's wedding. It uh, seems like they're showing up together, yeah, right? Yeah, I, I thought that they showed up together. And earlier in the movie, I think there's a line that suggests that, oh, oh, because uh, when they meet on the train, Theseus is like, I'll make sure my wand is, uh, registration oh, is up yeah, to date. Yeah, oh, no, no, yeah, Laylee yeah, says, yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, make yeah. sure my wand registration is up to date. And, and he's like, oh, it's out of my jurisdiction anyway. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they definitely fun. flirted on yeah, the train. Yeah, they did. And with Lita out of the picture now, I mean, it seems like she's dead, right? We're going to talk about that. But yeah, <laughs> it's, it's no no indication. It would have been interesting having Kama wandering around Nurmengard to see if there weren't, wasn't, a, in fact, a cell at the bottom of the pit that, you know, she might be in. Yeah, I think it's just better if Theseus ends up with somebody who Newt was not dating. That's also a little yeah. that's not, strange. That's not Lita's fault. Yeah, it's good Lita's dead because Newt was dating her and no, it was I know, a little but complicated. It's, yeah. I no, know, well, just... I think they're trying to get away from the whole swapped baby prophecy ship thing from the second movie. So it definitely felt like, you know, there was no body when Lita, quote, died. So that's why we were all thinking and speculating, oh, maybe she's alive somehow. And it feels like they're very much trying to be like, nope, nope, that whole part of the story is done. (laughs) We are not revisiting this. Here's another question. Does that whole boat story, baby swap, does that still check out when we're thinking about Aberforth being Credence's father. Yes. Do you think that so, still all connects? Well, yeah. yes, because the girl was sent away. That's what uh, that's what Alba said. So the woman on the train that's holding the baby is in fact Aberforth's baby mama. Um and she was holding the baby that was Credence or was swapped with Corvus Lestrange. So I think it's still unclear if the baby that was sinking came out 
But the woman that we saw, which the script book refers to as Credence's mom, is in fact Aberforth's lover. Like, I think that actually makes that clearer. Okay. But you have to. But do here's the, the thing, it. though, right? Yeah. If Corvus Lestrange died, that's the end of the Lestrange family line. So, how do we then get Rudolphus Lestrange, who marries Bellatrix Black? Are we just supposed to assume that? There's another part of the family somewhere out there because if you look at that family tree on the sewer wall, the family line should have ended there. Yeah. And that to me is always what's been so confusing about this whole thing. And it's like, if you did in fact kill Lita and she's not coming back, what was the point of introducing her in the first place? Especially since you didn't even follow through on her storyline and her- With getting Newt expelled and any of that. Yeah. And, so, and what about the prophecy? Does that all still check out? Yeah, Wings and the from thing the water. Is, we have to revisit our Great Nostradamus Avenger. stuff, by the way, <laughs> uh, to see how that check. We really do. I'm excited for that to be next episode. Uh, but the we wouldn't care about any of this if we weren't told to care about any of this by the plot of the previous movies. That's the thing that gets me. We're talking about the prophecy, whether it checks out the Lestrange lineage whether that checks out it's all because the movie set this up as being something that would be important and so for it not to pay off is very actually frustrating yeah so yeah i'm with you guys on that did anyone else i'm sorry i'm going all over the map here so just hang on did anyone else think that things were going to get hot and heavy between credence and queenie in the scene together that they were in together that was that was just you that was just you i'm glad i'm glad you know, wait a second. So, okay, Credence and Queenie are at Grindelwald's castle, and Credence has his hair down and his shirt is unbuttoned. You see his hairy chest. I didn't notice that. <laughs> okay, maybe it's time to move on then. No, I really thought that they were going there with, with, with just for a moment. I was James thinking that. Newton Howard composes soft core erotica music. So, for the... I, I cannot be the only one who was thinking that. Maybe I am amongst this panel, but the unbuttoned no. shirt. I mean, why was his shirt unbuttoned in like a sexy way? His hair down. That was his bedroom. I walk around with my shirt unbuttoned. He, in my he was bedroom. practically talking like Aberforth. Did anybody catch that? By the way, yeah. he almost yeah. sounded like Aberforth in that oh. scene, which I'm sure was very he purposeful. Sounds so whiny in this film. I couldn't stand to listen to him. Well, I would be whiny too if if I was set up as this hugely powerful person and then all of a sudden it's like, he's dying, isn't he? You know he is. (laughs) Oh, okay, I'm dying? Like, if I weren't such a problematic actor, I'd be pretty pissed about the whole characters just like possibly being written off now. Yeah, it is interesting though, because in this initial scene, he does sound a lot like Aberforth, but then for the rest of the movie, he sounds really whiny. Um, it's it's very strange. I didn't notice that. I'm gonna definitely be checking for that on a rewatch. Our listeners episode. agree with you all too that Andrew, nobody else thought this but me. Uh now that you say that though, I did read about a deleted scene where Queenie says to Credence. I can be your Nagini. Oh my God. Wow. Every time there was a shot of a rooftop in this movie, especially in Bhutan, I was like, oh, we're going to see Nagini and Credence chilling on top of it again. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. And, and, you know, we knew that Nagini wasn't going to be in this movie, but 
I, I guess maybe we thought there might be some explanation or some reference to at least close that plot line out. Nothing. Like, oh, yeah, Nagini Nothing. couldn't be here because she's the head of the Auror office in a foreign country. Uh, she's very busy right now. But, it, like, Theseus' This plotline got canceled by the internet. That's why we... She's well, not back. Here's the thing. Theseus is the head of the British Auror office. That He's introduced as such in this movie. That's Tina's job. That The job that Tina has in America is she's the head of the American Auror office. So Theseus has the free time to do this movie, but she does not. But they're in the same job also do they interact do they know each other i'd really like to know because she's like the american correspondent of what he does like i would think that they would have now a relationship theseus now has a relationship with a character that newt is presently romantically interested in him but there's so much that you could pull from there to tell a story and it's just not touched because the tina thing is she has been shunned um going back to credence real quickly so we know that obscurials do not survive past childhood. It's extremely unusual, and Newt even says this in the first movie, for Credence to be the obscurial. We thought it was uh, his younger sister, Chastity or Modesty? I think it's Modesty. Um, but it ends up being him, and he's super old for an obscurial, which speaks to his power. Um, he's like 15 or whatever then. So now... I guess as a result of just the fact that it's very draining to be an obscurial, he's dying. Dumbledore is like, he's dying. You know it's true. And by the end of the movie, they've really made him look very, very, very ill. My, yeah. qu my question is, as a Dumbledore, he has access to a phoenix. And in fact, a phoenix is keeps circling him like a, like a buzzard looking for food. But, but the phoenix has a particular tier that has particular healing capabilities that can heal, heal a basilisk venom coursing through your veins incident. That's so powerful, by the way, that it destroys horcruxes. It's one of five things that destroys horcruxes. Basilisk venom. And the phoenix tier can solve it. So can the phoenix tier save Credence from his current predicament? Because whatever the answer is, I'm disappointed. <laughs> like, yes, Eric, the Phoenix could save Credence. However, they have an Ezra Miller problem. So WB yeah. is going to divert off canon and off plot again to likely write out Ezra at the very beginning of the fourth movie or in between movies. That is my prediction. Like I Credence agree. died. Oh, it was a shame. But his Phoenix is right here. And now it's going to go with uh, Albus right now for now. <laughs> Right. If if anybody can save him, it's it's Dumbledore. So and the Phoenix. Yeah, I, I know. I was thinking this the whole time. And when they went into the mirror dimension while they're fighting, which why can Credence go there if it's a blood pact? That, like, uh, I don't know. It's the spittle. It's <laughs> the Albus. And I always thought like it was just anytime we saw that alternate dimension, I always thought it was done to protect everybody else that was around them from. Yes. That's yes, what I thought they, too. They straight up blow up a bus or a streetcar or something. Yeah. And there's nobody on it. And you're like, oh God, all the people, but there's nobody in that dimension. That makes sense. So one of the things that really grinded my gears about this movie, and it's probably my biggest criticism, and I know we've we've critiqued a bit. I detested how they used Harry Potter lines in this movie. Um, one example, Newt going up to Vogel via Dumbledore and saying, you need to choose between what is right and what is easy. 
That was yeah. one. Number two, Aberforth saying always to Credence when he asked if Aberforth loved him. That that come on, Steve Clovis. I mean, <laughs> the always one bothered me because, like, if they were uh, part of Snape's bloodline, like, okay, maybe in the family they've used always, but this is a completely different family. And also, we talked about how Credence's design for this movie is giving off Snape vibes hardcore and so there's that scene where credence is sitting against a wall clearly dying and we have the always exchange it felt too on the nose uh compared to deathly hallows part two like the way the scene was set felt like they were trying to elicit a connection there it's like oh my god y'all don't need that let your story stand on its own I don't think any of you were wrong, but I was grateful for the healthier use of the word always, just because it's yeah, like talking yeah, about a father's yeah. love for his kids. So I'm fine with it. I'm genuinely yeah. I'm like, in the right versus easy, it's a good line. It it succinctly conveys what the choice is that Vogel is making. You could always just use a, you know, uh, pull out a thesaurus and forever. I would, I, would I, I see what you're saying. I would almost be mad if they didn't use those lines, though, because because ultimately you do want to kind of streamline what you're trying to, to too much of this movie uses other words to talk about things like i'm saying like they don't say mugwump they they just continue to call it five different things it's just like no it needs to be streamed no but here's the thing right like the always line from snape was something that transcended the entire harry potter series it was yeah, like right. the backbone of what transpired from sorcerer stone all the way through deathly hallows did aberforth even know 15 minutes ago that Credence was his son, but he's loved him always. <laughs> like, well, yeah. he thought it. Aberforth has. Look, speaking from personal experience, Micah, if you have a love child that you know exists out there, but you've never met them, you think about them every day. <laughs> I'm joking. I don't have a love child. Synonyms for always, eternally, Forever. perpetually, evermore, forevermore. All the time. Till cows come home. Till hell freezes over. Till blue <laughs> till in the, the face. Come till, home. The cows, said, till, till the, the goats, goats come, come home. home. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> Thank you, thesaurus.com, for those. Oh, my God. Um, but on a related note, Micah, there was one uh, musical cue that bugged me. Not Hedwig's theme when returning to Hogwarts. That was fine. But I don't know what song it was, but when the suitcases started doing yeah. their antics in Bhutan, they used a song from Harry Potter. Was it? I felt like it was the... Similar to the Weasley one. Yeah, I think it was a Weasley song, maybe. It's just... And yeah, because it was like... it. It symbolized like the antics of the scene. Yeah. But it was just, it was directly from Harry Potter. And I just thought it was distracting. They didn't need to pull something from a Weasley antic scene and place it in here because then you're just thinking about Harry Potter. You're not thinking about what's going on in the moment. Well, all of the things bursting out of suitcases were pretty much things from Hogwarts. So I felt like it was kind of like Hogwarts saves the day. You know, oh, right. There was a Quidditch one. Mm -hmm. There was like the Monster Book of Monsters was in there. Yeah. Which I was like, was that even published at this point in time? (laughs) (laughs) No, no. But yeah, that um, 
I liked the the musical cues, uh, but particularly the suitcase one. I just thought it was hilarious seeing adults attacked by donuts, you know, and pastries. So I I bought into the the just genuine fun and reckless abandon of that scene, music included. So those are our odds and ends for now. We'll have much more in the weeks and months ahead. We're only about a month away from the movie being released on HBO Max. So I think we'll do a uh, movie commentary probably around the time that it's released. And I can't wait to do that because when I was watching the movie, I had things I wanted to react to in real time with the panel here. So that'll be fun. But, you know, overall, I really did enjoy this movie. I think it is very rewatchable. Like I said in last week's episode, I enjoyed it a lot more the second time. And like I also said, I think earlier in this episode, there wasn't a moment where I wanted to leave the theater to take a bathroom break. And I think that's very good news. I did not feel like Crimes of Grindelwald is rewatchable at all. It it feels no, painful to watch. It is. So overall, I'm, I'm satisfied with this movie. Uh, critics don't love it as much as I do, but that's okay. We'll talk about that more probably in a future episode. It seems like fans overall seem to really like it. Are you guys getting that vibe? from? I've heard some yeah. people say it's their favorite of the three. I would never say that, but <laughs> but but it's really good. And it's better than the second one. I would mm-hmm. never say it's my favorite of the three, but people really believe that. And you know what? No shame. Because if you liked, I think it's the people that really did like the Dumbledore stuff from like the lore and yeah. are really mm-hmm. excited to see this version of Dumbledore. Um, I, ca- I can't abide by the sidelining of the beasts and the characters of the core four to make room for that story. But again, it's it's all about what you like. They really did try to tie Beast into the plot of this movie. And I think we have mm-hmm. to celebrate that because that's been a common critique we've had about the movies in recent years. They're going off the Fantastic Beasts title and focusing on Dumbledore and, and Grindelwald. But now they have brought the Beast in again. So, yeah, we got to applaud that. Yeah, I agree. I, and I know like we've poked, we've prodded. That's what we do here, right? We critique. Um that said, I would definitely, to your point, Andrew, watch this movie again and again. I, I just think it delivers. There's plenty of action, right? There's beasts. Two episodes ago, we were like, Micah, you get to see the movie again? And you were like, eh, I'm good. Not in theaters, <laughs> though, but at HBO Max, I can do it in the comfort of my own home. I don't have to be okay. in a freezing um, theater, by the way. That was so cold in there. Um, mm. I should have brought gloves. But anyway, I do think... People will enjoy this film. I don't know that we felt the same way after seeing Crimes of Grindelwald, but for Secrets of Dumbledore, I think I said this at the top of the last episode that we did, this could be a sequel by itself to Fantastic Beasts because so much of the nonsense that happened, it didn't make sense in Crimes of Grindelwald. You could just toss it to the side and things open up. You know That would also remove pretty much all of Johnny Depp, which- may work for for people as well. Um, you know, you open up with Dumbledore and Grindelwald talking about their past and how they feel about each other. I don't know, maybe you're missing a few things here and there um, to connect the threads, but I could see it. I think this movie was put at a pretty major disadvantage because of the prior entry to the series. Um, I think all of that in mind, there is still a lot that fans can enjoy 
from this movie. And if you enjoyed this movie, I totally understand why. There was a lot of really good nostalgia in this movie. There was some nostalgia that that felt not earned, I will admit. Um, so I'll, you know, ultimately say it was an okay movie. And there are plenty of reasons to enjoy it. If you enjoyed it, there were portions of it that I definitely did enjoy. Um, certainly a much better entry than the last one. And I honestly think this is going to be the end of the series. Yeah, we'll see. It all rides on the box office. And like I said, we're recording opening weekend, so we don't know how it's going to look yet, but it is trending downward, it seems so far, compared to Crimes of Grindelwald in the first movie. So I will say my prediction is one more movie to wrap things up, and then they're going to move on. I don't know if it'll be in theaters. Maybe it'll go straight to HBO Max, but you know, 90 minutes, two hours. It's not going to be another two and a half hour movie because they got to do this for cheaper as well. So yeah, one and done. One more and done. I mean, I think this film cost, what, was it 200 million? I think that's right. Something like and that. And it's always said that um, that same amount is spent on marketing. So yeah, yeah it looks like 200 million and then they're going to spend another 200 million on marketing, presumably. Well, on that note, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Again, we would love to get your thoughts, your theories on the movie and what lies ahead. You can write to us or send a voice message by emailing mugglecast at gmail.com. You can also leave a voicemail on our phone. The number is one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. And if you're recording a voice message, just record a message using the voice memo app on your phone. You can also use the contact form on MuggleCast.com to write to us, and we'll probably get to your feedback next week. Can't wait to read all of that. And now it's time for Quizage. Last week's question, James Newton Howard, composer of the Fantastic Beasts series, also composed the music for the film adaptations of this young adult post-apocalyptic fiction book series, once marketed as the next Harry Potter. That was a mouthful. The correct answer is, of course, The Hunger Games, which has very good music. Correct answers were submitted by many people, including Nerdier Than Neville, Yusuf Come On Over, Time Traveling <laughs> McGonagall, Bacon Boss, Snuggly Voldemort, Dobby and Narcissa Lovers Forever, Whiskey to Goat, Jacob and Queenie's Baby, Shamanator, Scarlet Pepper, Jessica the Friendly Neighborhood Slytherin, one of Dumbledore's not-so-great secrets, Silly Unicorn Professor Stumblemore, The Weight of Living as a Muggle, Smush Golden Snidget, and This Isn't Quizzeaperty. Thank you to everyone with your colorful names who submitted to us uh, using the form on the MuggleCast website, mugglecast.com slash quizich. And here's an easy one if you've seen the new movie for next week's Quizich. According to Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, what is Bunty's surname? And submit your answer to us over on the website. Sounds good. Don't forget to follow the podcast for free in your favorite podcast app and leave us a review if they allow you to. You can also follow us on social media. We're MuggleCast on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, patreon.com slash MuggleCast is where you can support us. You get ad-free MuggleCast. You get bonus MuggleCast installments. You get a new physical gift every year. If you pledge $5 or more, all kinds of things, check it out. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We couldn't do this without you, so thank you very much. And thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. And the past whispers to you. Always. (laughs) Bye, Bye, everybody. (laughs) 